0: In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature art collector Reginald Van Lee. Reggie has collected for over 20 years. He is the Chief Transformation Officer at the Carlisle Group after spending 32 years at Booz Allen, where before he retired as EVP, led numerous businesses in the United States. Reggie is a member of the Board of Directors of Washington Performing Arts, John F. Kennedy's Center for the Performing Arts, Washington Nationals Philanthropies, Studio Museum in Harlem, the Public Theater and the Juilliard School. He formerly sat on President Obama's Committee on the Arts and Humanities, the Boards of Evidence Dance Company, Dance Theater of Harlem, and the Washington Ballet. His passions for the performing arts and the visual arts has always been intertwined in his busy life as a successful businessman and philanthropist. In this episode, we will also discuss the recent update on the success of the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. With that, it gives me pleasure to feature Reginald Van Lee on my Cerebral Art Talks podcast. Thank you and enjoy. Reggie Van Lee, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: I'm excited to feature you because your background is different in addition to being a collector you have both an appreciation for the performing and visual arts. So this is um, a little bit of a segue away from what I normally do. So let's start with you sharing with listeners when you discovered your interest in art in general. Well,
1: actually, my interest in art probably started when I was two or three years old, when I began drawing. And uh, copying Charles Schultz's Peanuts drawings and drawing. I drew the back of my grandmother's uh, head when we were in the car going (laughs) on a trip at one point and discovered that I actually had some acumen around drawing. Um, And then at the age of four, I took my first ballet class. So I moved from just the visual arts to performing arts. And since that time have had a love for both performing and visual arts.
0: You're very, very supportive of the performing arts what do you, what type of passion you, do you derive from that? Like when you're sitting in a performance space and you're watching dancers, it must be exhilarating for you because you did dance yeah. at one point.
1: Exactly, exactly. It's most exhilarating and a little saddening and frustrating because I will never dance again like I did when I was that age. And I have stopped drawing and painting for many years. So part of it is the love for that art form. And it takes me back to those days and some of it is a little bit of frustrating because I can't do it like I used to do it, but I still love it. I, I find that I keep my sanity through the arts, that that adds the balance to my life against all the business things I do and all but against all the challenging things one has in life. You can just sit back every once in a while and just enjoy art and enjoy the personal nature of what art can be.
0: And you have relationships with, with a lot of the performers, correct?
1: Yes, yes. Both from my dancing days and in theater and and artists themselves. So I I have this gravitation towards artists because I've lived in that world, but I also understand the other world. And I tried to bridge those two worlds as much as possible.
0: While you were hands-on at the Washington Performing Arts, you accomplished quite a few things surrounding gospel. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yes. Um, Washington Performing Arts is a 51, 52-year-old organization and was one of the very first organizations as a presenter in Washington, D.C. that presented gospel music uh, to Washington in general at at the the Kennedy Center in particular. Um, And so it has this history of an appreciation of gospel music as it has evolved over time. As it ends up growing up in elementary school, I was in the choir in my um, elementary school. I ended up being in the children's choir in my church. I ended up uh, leading the uh, gospel choir uh, and children's choir in my church. And then when I went to MIT, I ended up leading the gospel choir at MIT. And so uh, like it or not, this notion of gospel music um, has sort of been inbred in me for a while, which is curious because um, my religious background is United Methodist. Uh, It is not Baptist and other religions that would be more akin to gospel, but I always had this appreciation of gospel music. When I went to Washington Performing Arts and joined the board, One of the first programs I went to was the sort of end of year, end of summer recital for the gospel program. And we have a summer camp for kids um, in gospel music. And I went to one of the early rehearsals and the kids were running all around as children would do, not very disciplined, a little bit of a mess, Uh, but they invited me to the final summer presentation. And I went wanting to be supportive, but fully expecting to see, You know, children who didn't sing well, they weren't coordinated, it wasn't, you know, well done. I was completely blown away. They were well disciplined. It was amazing. It brought tears to my eyes. And as much as I was interested in being on the Board of Washington Performing Arts, that really confirmed my interest in WPA and has kept me with the organization uh, all these years.
0: And can you comment uh, about your involvement with Obama's uh, Committee for the Arts and Humanities?
1: Uh, Yes, Um, I have the pleasure, I had the pleasure of knowing many people in the Obama administration. And as they were getting their organization together, I was uh, blessed to have been offered a number of positions in the administration. But given my career at Booz Allen at the time, where I was and what I wanted to do, I wasn't ready to leave that career and go and do a full job with the administration. So finally, they offered me to uh, join the President's Committee on the Arts and Humanities, Obama's President's Committee on Arts and Humanities. And it was uh, a a committee that had existed through many administrations, but for the first time, it was gonna be comprised of not only the spouses of big donors to the President's campaign, but also actual artists. And so this time we had actual artists on the committee that hadn't existed before. Uh, And uh, so it was especially challenging and pleasing for me to not just be in a room with other business people trying to show their appreciation for the arts, but actually have an artist there that could challenge us on how we were really pushing, supporting, evangelizing, being ambassadors for the arts in America.
0: And before we segue over to discussion on the visual arts, I would like you to share with us comments regarding your role as the Chair of the Task Force on Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging, um, working with the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Uh, Share with listeners what your goals were and what you accomplished. Well,
1: to wind the table back a little bit, I moved to DC in 2007 Um, with my firm, Booz Allen, but from our New York office to our DC office, from our commercial side of the business to our government side of the business. And one of the first organizations I got involved with was Washington Performing Arts, but eventually I also joined the board of the Washington Ballet and served as vice chair for many years, I served as chair of Washington Performing Arts for many years. I went on the board of the Kennedy Center. So I really got involved in the arts in DC in a significant way especially given that I came from New York, from, you know, decades in New York to just years in D.C., but got really engulfed rather quickly. And as I retired from my firm in 2016 and sort of moved back to New York, I was not deeply involved in the arts in D.C., but still would go back and visit and stay connected to them. Coming both out of uh, the COVID situation which prompted real challenges for many artists around the country, around the world, and certainly in Washington, D.C. as well. Uh, and then it was punctuated by the George Floyd murder, which uh, shone a light on the disparity uh, of uh, black people and people of color across all genre of things, including the arts. Um, there became an outcry uh, from the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities that the commission wanted to do much more to advance um, anti-racism and to advance the cause for artists of color and consumers of that those art forms in a way that they hadn't before. And to say that they had done nothing before would not be true. Certainly uh, there were things they were doing in diversity and inclusion uh, before that, but there was a newfound interest and a, a punctuation around that that they wanted to push. As you can imagine, there are some politics associated with Uh, that work. And so they decided they'd like to get someone who was not necessarily aligned with any faction per se, and that had enough of insight around DC to be helpful, but also had some outside perspective as well. And given all that I'd done with DC and and my move out of DC and being one foot in, one foot out, uh, I was asked to come and chair the task force. And the task force uh, set out with the goal of really not only ensuring that wherever the commission could be helpful to advance the arts and humanities in DC with a blindness around color, but also where there's an opportunity for black people and people of color, those artists and those consumers of that, those art forms to have their equitable place in funding for their programs, Mm -hmm. that we push forward on that and that the commission moved to a clear position of leadership with respect to diversity and inclusion. And diversity and inclusion carries many good and bad aspects in as far as nomenclature. So we added a third word to that that we found would really capture the spirit of what we want to do um, in a blind context, and that is belonging, because everyone has a desire to belong. And in some cases, when things are not equitable, when you don't reflect the diversity that is in your environment, in your community, there will be those people who will be left out, we will not feel like they belong in that space. So we decided to define the task force and the task force work around diversity, inclusion, equity and belonging.
0: I love it. When I saw that, I thought, oh, my God, this is perfect. It just embraces everybody. Thank you for the work that you do, Reggie. It's it's uh, it's great to know you.
1: Thank you. Thank it's it's a joy. It really is a joy.
0: So now let's talk about visual art. When did you when did you start collecting? I think
1: I started collecting around 1990 or so, um, 89, 90. Um, And uh, a good friend of mine who is uh, an art dealer uh, got me first involved in understanding the various types of art forms and the various quality levels of the art forms. And I've always been a person who wanted to buy what I liked so I don't buy stuff just because that's the hot artist at the moment. Um, but she helped me understand how can I drive an overlap between significant artists and people that are doing interesting and inspiring things uh, that I also like as well. And so it's probably 89, 90 when I first started collecting. Um, I then joined the board of the student museum in Harlem and got the inside advantage of really an art education that um, enabled me to move forward aggressively in collecting in a significant
0: way. And did you favor abstraction versus figurative at one point or were you open to everything?
1: I've always been open to everything. I I must say that I I almost always love art that is joyful. So very serious uh, piercing pieces that show pain and, and that sort of thing, that's not what I am attracted to though I have a few pieces in my collection like that, but most of my collection is, uh, you can see the joy and the expression of freedom and the touch to humanity, all those sort of positive aspects. That's what attracts me. So whether it's figurative or abstract, or whether it's um, an all or a photograph or a sculpture, um, I'm indifferent to that, as long as it really helps me enjoy what art brings to my life, which is a sense of happiness and a touch touchpoint to humanity.
0: And with that, do you do you focus on the artist's narrative heavily? I focus on the
1: art that I like, and then I want to understand the narrative behind it. Um, So I'm, I'm not drawn to an artist because of the narrative. I'm drawn to the artist because of the art. And then I discover things about the narrative that also make it interesting to me.
0: Can you share with us some of the characteristics of your collection?
1: Um, as I said, I think there's a joy in a fair amount of what I collect, uh, whether it is in the color palette used in it or in the expression of freedom and that sort of thing, you know, broad brush strokes, things that cause you to think uh, and that challenge your thinking, but in a way that um, expands your thinking and your horizons in a positive sort of way. Um, so I have... 80, maybe 90% of what I collect is from African-American artists, though you can't necessarily look at it and say that so it doesn't look like it's necessary from African-American artists, but uh, most of it is. And I find that the range of expressions uh, that I get from collecting that type of art uh, meets my needs for joy and happiness and exploration in my life.
0: Has there ever been a particular artist that influenced Heavily influenced your interest
1: in in, uh, in art. It's interesting because initially
0: the artists that
1: I w- was drawn to were sort of the old masters, and as far as African American artists would be, uh, you know, a Richard Mayhew or um, a Norman Lewis or you know people in that in that vein. Uh, and as I understood the narrative behind their art, then I was able to attach myself to other you know, younger artists that also express that, whether it's um, uh, a Gary Grant or uh Shanique Smith, or I, mean, I can go through the list of those. And, and then brand new young people um, that I just sort of recently discovered uh, as well, because I think that you need to understand intergenerationally what artists are saying over time. So a Tyler Ballon, who I recently just, Uh, collected who is an amazing artist or even a Kehinde Wiley or I could go through the list but it started I think with the Richard Mayhews and the Norm Lewis's of the world and then expanded beyond
0: that. So it sounds like you have an interesting collection and I'm wondering if you have such a full collection that you run out of space. So with that (laughs) do you hang art throughout your entire residence for example bedroom, bathroom, kitchen?
1: bedroom, bathroom. In, in one of my homes, I, it was a 3 story home. I had an elevator. There was a piece of art in the elevator as well. Uh-huh. I, I like to see art wherever I am. I like to turn at any point and see interesting art because it just sort of fills my life in a meaningful sort of way. Um, as you know, I built a large house down in Texas, and some of my friends chided me that I just built the house so that I could hang more of my art. Uh, but there are some 400 pieces in the house in Texas, and then, you know, 75 or so pieces in New York and 50 or so pieces in DC, et cetera. But yeah, I believe in um, showing art everywhere I can. And I really am not one who likes to collect something and put it in storage. I think art should be seen. So if I don't have space for it, I will loan it to others so that it can be seen. And then at the point I perhaps want to rotate things out or I find a space, I'll you know perhaps bring it back. But I think art should be in every room and every space.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with me. I have some naked walls. (laughs) We'll have to talk. Um, um, So you did say that you buy work that you like, uh, work that makes you feel good, and work that you enjoy living with. Has there ever been a point when you viewed art as an investment? Yes,
1: as I said, when I first started collecting, the the art dealer that I worked with was uh, very good at helping me understand those pieces which could be investment pieces. Uh, and those pieces, which I just like, and they bring joy to me, and they, the, the value is something I just feel myself. Um, and I try to have a mixture of that. So I think probably in the last 15 years, um, I've been much more interested in um, art that I would appreciate and, um, and and geared myself in that direction. Not 100%, but, but at least to seriously consider those pieces that would drive appreciation.
0: And what, what do you feel is the definition of an artist?
1: To me, an artist is a person who, uh, through their life experiences, want to share and express those experiences in a physical form. And as I said before, it can be photography, it can be you know oil, it can be watercolor, it can be sculpture, but it is somehow reflecting their life experience or parts of their life experience in a physical expression.
0: Would you say that that holds true for the performing artists? Or maybe I should reword the question and say, what do you feel your role is of performing artists?
1: Well, very similar. I mean, I, that and that is to me even more expressive uh, than oftentimes the uh, physical art can do because you can feel the emotion, you can see the looks on the face, you can see the tears, you can see the smiles, you can express the movement. So there's something about moving art that to me um, is even yet more transformative, uh, perhaps than physical art can be, but it varies. I mean, some physical artists are amazing and you get it and it it does all that you want it to do, Uh, but certainly it is um, facilitated more, I think, in the performing arts.
0: On the topic of COVID, good old 2020. Yes. How do you feel it has impacted first visual artists?
1: Well, once again, I think, you know, visual artists are expressing their life experiences and and certainly aside from, importantly, but aside from the financial impact it has had on the artists themselves, as they look around and see the impact it's had on others and how they express that in the art um, is amazing. And some have found the glimmer of hope in it and others have seen all the devastation and doom in it, and I enjoy the whole spectrum.
0: Have you been able to uh, fulfill your need to to see uh, performing art in the last 12 months?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I have the benefit of being on a number of boards of performing arts organizations. uh, So I had a, a, a sort of bird's eye view of how they were thinking about still continuing to present themselves, even during COVID. And of course, it's been virtual. Um, I've only seen one or two in-person events because it was one or two performers because we could be socially distant, et cetera, it was outdoors, et cetera. But uh, most of it has been virtual. And uh, still, some have done a much better job of uh, displaying the art form and grabbing similar expressions as if it had been live.
0: Where do you expect will be, let's say six, eight, 12 months from now, and most of us have received our vaccines. What do you think the energy of the art world is gonna be like?
1: I think it's probably gonna be bimodal because like it or not, uh, a lot of the art form, not all of it, but a lot of the art form is funded by and therefore appreciated by older people with money. And I think that there will be some older people who in spite of the vaccination, you know, are nervous about uh, being in public spaces and so that's going to have an impact on their viewership, their on their being in the audience, and therefore what is presented on stage. Uh, on the other hand, there will be those who get the vaccination, who are young, who are otherwise healthy, healthy, who are either optimistic about their inability to get sick or just have had enough of being sequestered and just got to get out. That will, you know, return to theaters and galleries and all that sort of thing, and and hopefully those. Theaters and galleries will find a responsible way to uh, proceed, uh, but I think that there will be a big push, uh, sort of like a roaring twenties type push towards getting out there again for some, and then, you know, much more uh, measured and safe approaches by others.
0: I'm going to be in the rolling twenties crowd.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> with exactly. my mask on. With my mask. Exactly.
1: On. But then, you know, some people remind us after the Roaring Twenties came the Depression. (laughs) So let's be careful about Roaring (laughs) Twenties.
0: Well, I just have to, you know, use my current wardrobe, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This has been a great conversation. I knew it would be. So one last question, and that is, you may have answered it already, but what do you feel is the purpose of art?
1: I think art is here to remind us of our attachment to humanity and the human condition and to normalize differences in people because many times very different demographics can enjoy an art form in the same way, interpret in the same way, feel the expression in the same sort of way. So it normalizes life in that way. And I, I think that art can be, at least for me it was, can be transformative. Uh, that it really allows people to flourish in a way that perhaps they couldn't have before uh, in in order to deal with difficult situations because they can always retreat to art to calm them down and to give them pleasure and enjoyment and and that sort of thing. So I think it's a healing balm in so many ways for so many people.
0: And the world is slightly different than in the past. Do you feel that artists will take on more the responsibility of being a healing bomb?
1: Some will. I mean, and as you know, not all art is healing, right? And not all artists uh, sign up for the sort of charter or credo that I'm positing. But I think that as we experience more in the world, there's a critical role for yet more artists to be that healing bomb. And there'll be those that will step up to that challenge.
0: Thank you so much, Reggie. It was great having you today and appreciate your insight on, um, on the arts.
1: Happy to share one person's perspective. <laughs> You're so clever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks Podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.